0: I have this deep inside me, this drive and this desire and this burning passion for my life to be meaningful.
1: This is the How to Live a Cool Life podcast, a show that taps into the minds of creative, driven, successful people to find out what makes them tick. If you've ever wanted a blueprint for dominating life, well, this is pretty close. Here's your host, Phil Mackey. All right. Welcome to another episode of the How to Live a Cool Life podcast, a blueprint for life domination. Be sure to check out the website, howtoliveacoollife.com, where you can read show summaries and find recommendations from the guests and other items. We're also available on iTunes if you haven't found us on iTunes yet. And if you want to show some love and subscribe or leave a rating, we would very much appreciate that. All right. On to the next episode The Story of Matt. Ermi, singer, songwriter, and music tech entrepreneur who has a fascinating backstory. Matt founded a company called Artist Growth in 2012. It's a music app that helps bands and musicians turn what might just be a hobby into a legit business, keeping track of everything. They've got almost 20,000 users at Artist Growth, and they bring in millions of dollars in revenue. And Matt tells a great story about how his music career hit a roadblock When he blew an important meeting with a Nashville music manager a number of years ago. And that blown meeting actually led to the biggest epiphany of Matt Ermey's life. We also dive into several other interesting discussions about religion, the state of music, and how great musicians sort of become great musicians from a business standpoint and otherwise. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with tech entrepreneur, music tech entrepreneur, and singer-songwriter Matt Ermey. I think you have such a such a cool story that, that blends the thing you're most passionate about with a business model and being able to, to create and do what you want. And you've sort of paved a path that most people maybe either wouldn't be able to do or wouldn't have the wherewithal to do. And I'd love if you could just sort of take me through and take our listeners through uh, your, your music career and, and how it led to... That meeting in Nashville that, uh, that I've heard about, where you, you went in and met with a record label and things didn't go well, and it, it kind of sparked an idea a couple years down the road. I'd love to hear that whole story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, my, my music, uh, my musical journey is probably very much like most artists um, when they're starting out, is, you know, started playing music early on, got into songwriting at a very, very young age and with my friends and started my band in junior high and high school then that spilled over into college and it's all sort of just this uh process of self discovery as much as it is uh doing what you love you know and you're kind of you start looking at the whole world through this lens of being an artist and being a songwriter and and you're and everything is colored by that you know and then you're you you have the heroes that whose music you love and had such a powerful impact on you growing up and um, that's informing the kind of music that you make and you're getting exposed as you get older you get exposed to all these new things and um, you know so it's this sort of exploration process and it was like that for me you know all the way through college and then it became this question you know as we as you get and I dropped out of college you know for a couple of years and went and and did nothing but music and then ended up coming back and you know it's as you as you get as you leave school, whether you you decide not to go to college or you leave early or or you're getting close to graduation you, you get to this point where uh, the passion that you have and the the thing that you love to do the most you, you start realizing that if you can't figure out a way to buy groceries and keep your heat turned on by doing it, that you're going to have to spend a portion of your time doing something else in order to to have the money to take care of yourself. And, uh, you know, and that only gets amplified, uh, when you, you know, by orders of magnitude, when you start having children. And so I was, you know, coming out of college, uh, when I finally got done, it was like, okay, I'm, I gotta get serious about this. And so I started really not so much just studying to learn how to write songs and how to make records and how to put music together, but how to, how do you book shows and, um, you know, how do you, advanced shows and, and how do you do all the things professionals do and then i got into where i was touring more and <clears throat> actually for the first time really actually touring which is having a real routing that's several cities and markets were expanding and i was going up and down the east coast and starting to feel like i was really working towards a career and and i think that's a key point every every musician and artist gets songwriter gets to where you're no longer just doing it for the love of doing it but you're doing it to have a career and um, you get a little bit more focused, and so that's where I found myself is, is getting focused, and I was doing you know, 80 shows a year, then a little over 100 shows a year, and um, thought I was doing great. You know, thought I was making tons of progress. I had more fans than I'd ever had, and was playing in more cities than I ever had, and thought I was on my way. Um, what I wasn't doing was being proactive about logging all of those things. Um, you know, so I would get done with a club. I'd get, I'd have a, a club gig, you know, somewhere in North Carolina. Say I was playing Asheville, North Carolina or Greenville, South Carolina. And I would, I would do the show and I would sell merch and have a bunch of cash from that or, and then the club would give me my guarantee or the door money, whatever it was. And they feed me and then I'd go to a motel and I'd pay for a room and I wasn't keeping track of any of that, you know, and then I'd get home the end of the run a week later or whatever and I, I would or i wouldn't have money um and then i would put it in my account and it would go right into my account where you know my day job money went and kind of get lost in the river of other stuff coming in and out of my bank account and you know i i kept track of emails on a clipboard with you know notebook paper on it like most people and i i kept track of uh you know sales by making hash marks on a piece of paper at shows so i could make sure I didn't lose any along the way but there wasn't any real formal way of tracking all this information and and so as the years rolled by you know there was a whole story there in that in in that data that I didn't have the ability to tell because I I, it's not possible to log all that in your mind especially you know you're going to clubs and people are handing you drinks and you're shaking hands and you're trying to win over these fans and you just don't have time to remember everything like that, and you don't have time to write it all down. And so, you know, the, the meeting that you're referring to is after, after I started getting momentum, I got introduced to it. actually wasn't a label, it was a manager of um, uh, some really legendary songwriters. And I got introduced to them through a publicist friend uh, here in Nashville, and they took me to lunch. And, and the manager said, I'm hearing all this great stuff about you. Uh, you know, I love what I'm hearing. I listened to some of your music. Your songs are super interesting. I, I just I just love this whole thing that you're building. You know, can you talk to me? You know, so we had a great lunch, and then they invited me over to their office a week or so later and said, all right. And it was a totally, it was a totally different tone at that point. You know, we weren't having a glass of wine and a, and a salmon salad in, in the late afternoon one day just talking about how much we love music. That was sort of a get-to-know-ya um, and it was really lighthearted and fun. And I was like, oh man, this person really loves what I'm doing. I'm so excited. I go into this second meeting in their office and it's, it's nowhere, it's nothing like that first meeting. It's, it's straight very it's much business. like, yeah, it's straight up oh business. man, yeah, yeah it, it flipped over to, to this, this business operator who's been doing it for 30 years saying, okay, um, had so much fun the other day in the restaurant, that was great. Talk to me about how many markets you're in. Um, what were your revenues the last three quarters? How many, you know, how does your, how does your album sales and your, and your t-shirt sales break out across the different markets that you're in, in the different regions of the country? Do you sell more in the Northeast than in the Southeast? Yeah. Um, all kinds of questions like this that I just sat there going, you know, I, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I know that I, I ran another 2000 records or CDs at the last pressing I did. And the one before that was a thousand and I'm, almost sold out of the second one, but it was all, it, that's about as deep as I could go. Yeah. And, and I, you could just see it in this person's face as they, as we went through the conversation, kind of having the realization that I wasn't ready for them yet. Um, and, and that was something that when I left the meeting, I was deeply deflated by it. It was, it was like, man, how did it go from this super positive? I love what I'm hearing. I love what, all this buzz to yeah, that's great, and I think your songs are really great, and and maybe we could work together one day, but you're not ready yet. Yeah. Um, and the primary reason of that was that I I didn't have all of this information that that would have essentially, if I did have some place to store it, it would have been uh, a resume. It would have been a portfolio that I walk into. You know, if you're a designer and you're you're pitching a a, a company to to hire you to do this big job. You know, you go in there with your portfolio of all your past work, and you say, "Hey, look, look at who I've I've done this, I've done this," and look at my pictures, and they're beautiful, and all my designs, and you get hired. And and this person essentially was interviewing me, and you know, technically the managers work for the artist, but but I was at a, a baby stage of my career. This person was working with superstars and uh, who people I consider to be superstars, and and. Uh, Just because of what great artists they are and they're heroes of mine and they were interviewing me from a portfolio perspective and saying, you know, tell me what you've done, analyze and break down your business for me. And and I didn't have any of that information and that was a that was a really disappointing awakening for me where I realized, okay, if I'm ever going to attract the attention and of a professional like this and they're going to be willing to sign on to give me their energy and invest their time and resources and effort into into partnering with me to grow a career that's like all these people who I love and own their records I'm going to have to have some something more than a Facebook page and some buzz you know I'm going to have to in today's day and age and, and you know and it wasn't like I was getting shot by a label and there's an A&R guy that was like hey I can market this it was a manager it was somebody that was asking themselves the question of is this a long-term investment I'm willing to make? And I, you know, what I, my friend, uh, I had a, a friend who was in a college band with me or a post-college band with me who was touring in his new band uh, at the same time all this was going on, and I was doing my solo stuff, and and he was having the same experience, and so we sat down and said, "All right, we got to get organized." And we looked at every tool online we could find, and none of them had what we really were looking for. And so we just sat down and started drawing pictures on a piece of paper uh, going, well, I wish we had a computer program that did this. And we would draw pictures. And we kept doing that just for fun, just to see where it would lead, really. And then we showed it to some people. And they that's when they said, you know, you, you should take that seriously. And you should go back and draw some real pictures and start thinking about how you could really organize that into a, into a program and and sell it. And and maybe there's a business there. And that's when a sort of a, a switch went off in our minds. And, and we thought, man, there's lots of people out there probably going through the same problem we're going through.
1: You had to carve the time out from your music career to put this together and to sort of solve a problem that exists for you and for thousands of other artists. And I think on a grander scale, you reach this fork in the road that a lot of people reach and... Like We've all got to the point where we thought we were on a roll for a couple years or five years and you're going down this path and you have a big meeting with somebody or uh, you have a big job interview or whatever it may be and then you you get to that moment and you think, yes, my life is going amazingly and then you get slapped in the face by reality, which is kind of what happened. It's like you thought you were here and really you were two or three steps behind and you had to make a choice. And I think a lot of people get to that point and they don't know what to do. They don't know, well, maybe I can fix this myself and keep going down but why did you choose to not just fix the problem of call it disorganization or uh whatever it is why did you choose to fix it for everybody instead of just for yourself
0: that's a great question you know it was it was a couple things for me um one i felt like i I took a step back and i started really thinking about what i wanted the next few years of my life to look like uh one of the things that had just happened in my life um, a year or so before that was I had my son was born and so as a as a very young father with a teeny little baby at home, I was saying to myself, "You know i could I could go back I could stay out on the road and I could be gone two hundred days a year uh, solo sleeping in motels, sleeping in my car, trying to take better care of." my information and manage things, which probably won't happen um, for a minute, you know, until I get a real system together uh, and grow it. Or I could pursue this, you know, I got people telling me there might be a real opportunity to go do this. Um, and this would give me the autonomy to stay involved in music, uh, manage my own schedule, which is something that was always so important to me is my time. And and I get to stay home and be a dad. And, and then you know, at the time, naively, was thinking, yeah, I would do this for you know two or three years, and and then uh, be able to go back to touring. Mm. You know, and and now I'm I'm going on my fourth year into it, and and there's there's no no view of me going back out on the road and performing anytime soon, um, because it's you know what artist growth is today is not what I originally envisioned that it would be. It's certainly grown um, in its scope of what we're trying of the problem we're trying to solve. And um, and so it's it's completely consumed my professional life. Um, but you know the amazing thing is is uh, and, and this is the, the the larger answer to your question is w- once I got into the process of drawing these pictures about what a system could do, I became so fascinated by the questions uh, of how to solve the problem that I was experiencing and the creativity that it was taking to design these screens and think through it. It was every bit as invigorating to me as the creative puzzle-working process of writing a song or writing a poem. Um, it was a very creative endeavor, and it and it really fascinated me because I was on like a whole new medium of art. You know, it's like going from charcoals to to oil paints. It was it was just a totally different thing, but it was exercising the same muscles. And so I never felt at risk that the part of me that was thriving being a songwriter was going to get unhealthy or shut down or get ignored by taking this venture on? You know, I think if I was working in a cubicle at a at a Fortune five hundred company and was just a grunt worker down, you know, on the sub basement level working on a, in a cubicle crunching numbers, then a part of my energy, a part of who I am, and, and that artist would suffer greatly. But I haven't experienced that at all in, in becoming an entrepreneur. And what I realized in the process of becoming an entrepreneur of a tech company. Is I was an entrepreneur as an artist, I just yeah. didn 't know it. you know I really just didn't even recognize that 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 term wasn't even in my vernacular at the time, and um, that 's what I tell a lot of artists I meet now It's like, hey, man, you are running a small startup, and it's you you're the only employee you know, and you're head of product and you're the CEO and you're head of marketing and you're head of customer service and when you start, you know I see the light bulb go off in these people's heads, and um, the changes they implement into how they approach their music career as a result of that realization have been profound to watch. I mean, one of our indie artists who uses Artist Growth when when we when he first started using us, and I got to know him, he had a full time forty hour job a week at Walmart, and. Uh, started religiously logging his stuff from his local shows. And then he started playing surrounding cities and logging all of his expenses. And after six months of him doing that, he started seeing where his money bleeds were and he cut down his living expenses and he went to part-time and then, you know, started making more money because he was able to gig more and he was incredibly proactive and he tracked every penny. And after a year he quit his day job and then he got, he, he took, he did exactly what I didn't do in that meeting with that manager is he went and met with a booking agent and he had print out printed out reports of the last eighteen months of his touring world uh, and he showed the upward trend and he had every sale log and he landed a booking deal yeah and and then six months later he went in and met with an indie label and had even more data and showed them and said here's my business plan here's my projections and he got signed to this label you know now he's opening up for Merle Haggard and on tour with Chris Stapleton. And uh, you know, his career is just growing but in leaps and bounds, all, you know, mostly because he made the realization that if he treated it like a startup company and he realized that he was the head of all these quote-unquote you know, departments, customer support, marketing, you know, R&D, product, that's how he started thinking about it. And it became a game you know, and it became a, a, a something for him to figure out. And he's made just unbelievable strides. It's really incredible. And I, and I see that that's something that we want to replicate and see scale get applied to because, you know, everybody at some point wants to be in, in a huge act, you know, like U2 or, or some big singer songwriter or, or, or entertainer and, at the end of the day, I think the economy we're headed towards now is, is um, if, if, if as an entrepreneur you can provide a good living for yourself doing what you love, then you're winning. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, and I think that's, that's something – that's a model that is scalable and is attainable given the amount of tools at people's disposal – it just takes intention and awareness of how you go about doing it and then an infrastructure like we have at Artist Growth to help you keep it organized so it doesn't fall off the rails.
1: On a, on a total side note, you just mentioned Chris Stapleton. and uh, like I, ju- I just got into Chris Stapleton in the last couple months, and I'm also a huge Edit James fan. I mean, my, if you looked at my iTunes, you'd see everything from all corners of the last 60 years on it. Nice. I, and I started listening to Tennessee. Someone sent me. I think it was Tennessee Whiskey. It was a live performance at the CMAs with Justin Timberlake. I think.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: I st- I start listening to the to the baseline chord progression. And I and I, you know the song I'm talking about, right? Tennessee Whiskey. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, if people are out there listening, Google the song, and then Google Etta James. I'd rather go blind. People are ripping Chris Stapleton. Well, he he stole the song from Etta James, and that right. wasn't my first thought. Was if. If there's thousands of artists and and not even well known artists, but uh, it could be superstar artists or just anyone who's who's trying to make five bucks in Nashville somewhere, and you multiply out the number of gigs and songs written over the course of fifty or sixty years, you're going to have songs that kind of sound alike. But I, so so people quit ripping Chris Stapleton for uh, for ripping off Etta James. I love if you haven't listened to Chris Stapleton, like he is. If you hate bro country and you've kind of gotten out of country the last 10 years, I feel like he's bringing back this older school, sort of edgier side to country that uh, that we haven't heard in a long time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Casey Musgraves is another great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a, she's a up and coming, um, you know, she's really kind of found her zone and, and very similar. You know, she's much more real. She's writing great songs. It's much more traditional to country and not the sort of pop bro is it is it like white boy hip-hop country yeah. all that stuff <laughs> right you know but but you know just to even throw on another thing about you know the chris stapleton thing is you know that song tennessee when people are knocking on chris stapleton for ripping out of james well tennessee whiskey was written by dean Dillon and linda hargrove who are two big time songwriters here in nashville it was originally recorded by david allen Coe. uh who put out, I think, on a record that was called Tennessee Whiskey, and then later it was covered by George Jones. And George Jones is one who really made it famous um, from his album Shine On, I think. And then so Chris Stapleton covered the song on his album Traveler, uh, you know, after George Jones had already done it, and before that, David Allen Coe, and it was written by Dean Dillon and Linda Hargrove. So it's like, you know... Definitely not Chris Stapleton's fault that yeah. the bass line sounds like something from an Etta James song. Yeah.
1: And even so, like, it's, it's, there's going to be coincidences over the course of 60 years. They're just like, there's going to be. And so for yeah, people get mad, well, it's kind of funny.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's only so many notes in a scale. Exactly. So, um, so eventually it all kind of repeats itself.
1: I think it's, it's so fascinating too. I mean, this, the answer to this question might be sort of two different parts for you, but you've made your entire living off of, creative ventures in some way you're you're creating from from nothing to you know to put something out there whether it's music to make a living or uh, or a business and and uh and going down the entrepreneurship path what are some of your creative processes like what how do you go about creating and do you have little tricks on a daily or weekly basis for staying on track how do you self-motivate? How do you create? How do you come up with new things? And how do you keep pushing
0: forward? Uh, all great questions. Um, man, well, I think, uh, I think one of the, the, core, the core thing that runs across all my creative, uh, my entire creative life and all the different things that I do is this, I have this deep inside me, this drive and this desire and this burning passion for my life to be meaningful and and what i mean by meaningful is because it's certainly meaningful to me and the people in my life and and people i love and love me but but i i also feel like if i'm going to take up space in this world uh i should do something productive with the energies that i have um whether that's building great products or writing a great song or or doing charity work or you know this i just have this fuel inside me this fire that says like you know don't Waste the time that you have in this world because there's endless possibilities. And I, you know, once I realized that I had this ability to choose a direction, and as a result of my choice, my life would take turns that I never could have predicted. You know, like when I went to New Zealand to study with the Maori people, to study traditional healing, like what came about in my life and what has grown in my life as a result of making that choice, I never could have imagined or predicted. And so that whole dance of, you know, making the most out of the world, my time in this world, is what drives all of my creative endeavors and, and gives me the, the energy to, to stay on task. Now, um, the, the more day-to-day application of your question or answer to your question is I make lists. Um, I, so when I'm working on artist growth, you know, I have, I have a notebook for artist growth and I make constant to-do lists. And brainstorming lists um, that I every single day that I review from the day before, the weeks before, and I just flip back through this book and um, and you know I I kind of go back through and I make sure I don't forget thoughts that I've had and then I, I all my strategic thoughts I lay out about partnerships and things on songwriting. You know I I make sure that even if I'm writing something on a napkin waiting for my coffee at a coffee shop or something. If an idea comes to me, I make sure that I have one place where I put all that so I don't lose them um, or I'll read them into my iPhone voice memos. Um, and then same with poetry. So I think in most of my creative, the key glue in all my creative things is that I find a way to record something, whether a voice memo or in a notebook um, that I can continue to go back to again and again and remind myself of what it, what it was I was thinking and why and why it's valuable. And that I think without that process of locking it down on paper or in an audio recording, I would lose the juice of those initial inspirations. And, that, and when that happens, you kind of just like get distracted by life and you don't have anything to come back to. And so I'm try to be real disciplined about making a record of things. Yeah. Can you,
1: uh, elaborate more on New Zealand and your, your why did you go out to New Zealand? Well, when, and, and tell me more about the people that you, um, what's the word I'm looking for even studied with. Uh, yeah. Liked. Yeah.
0: I, um, it was a, it was just like a, well, th- the way I met these people, you know, I was in that period of my life where I had left college. I'd left the university of Tennessee and I was back in Nashville and I was just playing music full time. And, um, I got invited to meet this group of people that you know. All I was told was this amazing group of people is in town from New Zealand, and they're doing this. They do this incredible body work. Why don't you come and check it out and experience it? And it was like, okay, cool, I'm in. So I went, and I received uh, a session with these folks and, and the work that they did, which they basically laid me on the floor, and these huge Polynesian healers walked all over my body. Mm and And <clears throat> the amount of pressure and the the amount of depth to which they physically went into my body with their elbows and their heels and and their hands was something unlike anything I had ever imagined possible, definitely more than I had ever experienced in a typical massage or anything. It really blew my mind and it the the, the after effects were um, so powerful that the next time I heard they were traveling through, I, I went back and I saw them again and, and talked with them a lot. and I, I just sort of cultivated a friendship with this group of folks, this family, and, and every time I would get the chance to go where they were, I would, and they would start eventually they started kind of teaching me some things and saying, like, "Well, you know, this is how you do this and this is how you do that." And then they invited me to start doing work on, on people that would come to see them alongside them. And, after a few years of that, they, they said, Hey, if you want to learn anything else, you need to come to New Zealand. Um, and you need to meet the folks who taught us. And, um, so I, as soon as they gave me that invitation, you know, I sold one of my guitars, I sold whatever I could to raise money to buy the ticket. And I told my roommates I was out and I don't know if I'll ever see you again, but I'm going to New Zealand and no idea what's going to happen. And, um, I literally went over there not knowing if I was going to move back or live there the rest of my life or where it was going to take me. And um, I was that sort of into learning about health and and healing and, and spirituality. The, the type of spirituality and their tradition as a people was really fascinating to me and so very similar yet so vastly different than the Presbyterian um, – religion and, and spiritual traditions that I grew up with in Nashville. And so I just dove into it. And, and I spent, I was there for about four or five months, and I traveled all over both islands, and I stayed with several families and uh, with with the, the elders and, and other folks who did different, you know, made medicines out of plants or did this or that, and um, just soaking up everything I could and assimilating myself to their paradigm and their world as much as possible. And then it just became, you know, it was like after a certain amount of time, I remember I was sitting with one of the, the chiefs and he was like, time to go home. And I was like, yeah, it's time to go home. And so I hopped a plane back and uh, rented a car in, in L.A. and drove home, I took my time, and, um, and then just kind of got back into my life. And I got back into music. And, you know, it, it was just, a, and, and they remain friends of mine. I see them at least once a year. And uh, and and I still learn from them and, and still practice the things that they've taught me, but it it, it didn't it wasn't something that I ever felt called for it to become my livelihood. Um, so it was just a, it was just something that got added to my life that brings a lot of depth and has brought a lot of enlightenment to me. Um, and that I'm that I'm deeply grateful for, and it inspires and informs everything that I do, whether it's in business or in, in personal relationships or in my creative work. Um, it, it was just one of those sort of life altering experiences. Yeah.
1: That sounds, it, it sounds uh, very meditative at its core, oh. I guess. Very, uh, Oh
0: yeah, very much. It was all about self awareness and, and, um, mm-hmm. and it, the whole thing was a big journey of self realization for me and understanding, uh, the wor- you know, what I could about the world and my place in it and, and, the bigger spiritual questions that every person wrestles with, and, and uh, you know, reconciling my upbringing with with what other things that I witnessed happening in the world, and those questions that we all have to face of uh, that challenge our faith, our, our different forms of faith and and religious practice, and you know, it was just incredible. Really, really was incredible. And and the, the Maori people are one of the most amazing communities. And uh, that I've ever come across in the world, I mean, more love and laughter uh, among the Maori people than I have experienced among any other uh, people group in the world, tribal or otherwise. And, I, do,
1: I do think our country here, our, the United States, I'm generalizing, but is definitely way behind other countries in terms of looking inward and um, and finding what. Your purpose is on a core level, and detaching from. I still think we are very much attached as a as a population to external validation, and it is. But it's it's kind of cool now that there's this new generation of people who haven't just bought into the things that maybe their parents bought into, and maybe seek their own forms of spirituality. I personally, I grew up Catholic, and sometime in my teens, and maybe even once I got to college, I just. I started reading other things. I started reading Eckhart Tolle. I started meditating. I, and I don't even know what my religion would be, but I just know that there's more to spirituality than a religious denomination. And I think our country is a lot more open-minded to that than when you know than when you and I were kids or or the generation before us.
0: Oh, certainly. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's there's no doubt that. The younger generations that are that are growing up now, like I look at my son's generation and my nieces who are slightly older than him, and just growing up in a world that's as interconnected as this world is now, mm-hmm. um, and where it's headed and the trajectory that it's on, they are experiencing a a a worldview that just was not even uh, in the social consciousness when we were growing up. I mean, I, I was not thinking about. You know, or had the ability to look through a keyhole of a phone and watch a bunch of kids in Uganda live streaming on Periscope about what their daily life was like. I mean, that wasn't even something that I could have even fathomed, let alone done, while sitting on my couch with my parents mm-hmm. when I was nine. You know, but mm-hmm. I was running around <laughs> in the woods chasing crawdads and snakes and uh, pretending that I was Superman, and that was about it. And, you know, and you just take everything that's right in front of you at face value that that is the world. But my son, you know, can do that. He can sit on the couch with my iPad and he can talk to a kid in, uh, in Australia or India live and, and see what their apartment looks like and what they're eating and hearing the difference in their voice and their dress. And for him, the, our neighborhood where we live is not the entire world, um, He's well aware that there is much more, and there's so much diversity out there. I wasn't aware of that until I got older. For me, and probably for you, you know, when we were mm-hmm. kids, our neighborhood was the entire universe. And um, maybe we went to these far off, distant lands like the beach, where <laughs> you know the these exotic places that only existed on vacation. Um, <laughs> right. You know, so it's a totally different ballgame now, and I think it's a good thing. I think I think it's it's causing us to have. Uh, I think our, our social consciousness, our spiritual consciousness as a people, is definitely evolving faster now, and, and we're having—I uh, hope—more m- and more positive realizations um, as, as the human race develops. I mean, know?
1: I still dress up as Superman as a
0: 30-year-old, but you know,
1: I think that's perfectly yeah. normal. It's totally cool. Underworld dude, totally, over the tides, man, it's, it's totally normal.
0: No doubt, dude. Well, I've made I've made the switch now from from I, w- I made the switch from Superman to Batman in my twenties. I was Batman, and now I'm now I'm really digging the whole pirate thing. I you know I'm a big fan of Captain Jack Sparrow. Just always dressing as a pirate <laughs> in public. <laughs> <laughs> whenever I can, you know. Some, sometimes the moment doesn't allow for it, but whenever I can,
1: you know. Nashville. I've been to Nashville two or three times, and Nashville is incredible to me because. You can go up and down, go up and down, you know, bar to bar, for instance, on a Friday or Saturday night, and you will hear music from people who have money buckets in front of them, hoping for, you know, just let keep me afloat. Uh, this is my side gig, and I'm just trying to make it, trying to get in front of the right people and right producers. You take those same people, bring them to, say, Minneapolis where I'm recording from, or, or other cities, and they would headline a lot of different venues and be paid money. So I guess my question to you is. With all these talented musicians out there who don't wind up "quote unquote" making it, what's the biggest difference between musicians who make it or bands or artists who make it, and whatever that whatever your definition of make it is? I guess you know, make it make it big financially or fame, whatever it is, and those who don't.
0: I think the biggest uh, the biggest difference um, would be the ones who give up and the ones who don't. Um, perseverance is probably the number one differentiator between those who end up with careers that sustain them over the long term and those who don 't um, and now that you know that 's being said with full awareness that every career is very different and when you you when you know for so long the way I used to look at it is like you make it or you don 't right and I you always want to make it you hear that a lot when you 're an up and coming or aspirational artist like how are you going to make it you know, I got to make it and that's what you think about it. And, and I think what make it means for a lot of people is not have a day job and be, be able to make a living and buy a house and provide a life for yourself where all you're doing is making music and performing it. And, and that is – so then you're a professional. And, and, and it's like, okay, cool. But once you make it to that, once you get over that hurdle, then you've got to deal with the hard work of like building a career to last you the rest of your life. You know, or else you're going to make it for 20 minutes and be done. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and you better make a lot of money in those 20 minutes if you're going to go that route. And so then I think once you, you have to persevere and apply yourself and be, un, be, be, be unbelievably proactive to get to the point where you're making your living um, playing music. And usually along the way, people have to step in and invest in you to really make that leap. Um, At some point, you run out of energy. uh, You can't sleep on the floor of your car anymore. You're just not willing to do it. And at some point, you either get investment or you kind of move on to something else or you're you're just signing on to hold onto the saddle and you're going to have a you know, you're going to ride it out and that's going to be your life. And it gets, it gets really hard, uh, once you start getting close to your forties to, you know, sleep on couches and sleep in the back of your car and live that hardcore road life. That's kind of glamorous when you're 22 or 25. And, um, but, but, you know, you get in and if you, if you really push it, eventually somebody will come along and they'll give you a publishing deal or they'll say, okay, I'll give you a stipend or, or I'll help you, I'll pay for this next record and help you promote it. And somebody comes along and makes some type of investment into you. And, um, you know, right along the lines of, of thinking of yourself as a startup company, you know, like a lot of the companies and startup ideas that entrepreneurs have end up not coming to fruition because nobody invests. And um, nobody gives the artist or the entrepreneur, uh, the, the puts the gas in their tank to help them get the thing built and, and up and running in the market. You know, and so I think a big part of it is personal perseverance when you know, not quitting. And then the next big thing you got to find is an investor. And that can come in many different forms. That can come in hard cash. That can come in time and, and introducing you to a network of other professionals. That, that can come in many different manifestations. But you have to have somebody being willing to make an investment along the way. Or you have to find a way to continue to invest yourself. Um, and then, and at that point, you know, you're leveraging every resource you can, uh, to grow and learn and grow and learn. And then at some point you hope you either get to the point where you're successful enough to be able to maintain it, meaning you make enough money where you can actually get a hotel room and have a shower in the morning and eat healthily. Um, you take care of your body and, you know, you don't drink every night. Um, or somebody comes along and writes you a check and you are able to, take some of the stress off your life of having to get by day to day because you're getting some financial support from a patron or a record company or a manager or somebody like that. Yeah. Does that answer your question?
1: No, it, it does. I think, you know, there's, there's luck factors and there's, but it's, it's about setting yourself up for being in the right place when maybe a door opens. And, um, I mean, your example from, from the top of the podcast is a great one, which is maybe, maybe a door was open for you during that second meeting with that manager and maybe, yeah, you, and I didn't, and you made a mistake. Like you, you weren't ready and you didn't cash in because you didn't have the information that was needed because you hadn't done enough work in that area. But you made up for it, obviously, by, by carving another path.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a great example. And you know, what happened in that second meeting, basically, was I was unable to close the deal.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, and, and maybe even though I didn't have a real portfolio put together, had I known what I was really walking into, and that I was indeed in there selling myself and I needed to close the deal, I might have been able to bullshit my way through that meeting and kept the conversation going. Um, and then gone out and called a bunch of people and said, hey, I got to get together some type of historical portfolio on some stuff. Let's, let's dig through my buckets of receipts and, and look at my tax returns. And maybe I could have pulled something together. But mm-hmm. I was unprepared in many ways. And I think the, the result of the, of the interaction was a, was a direct... Um, consequence of m- me being unprepared yeah
1: i've got a few just sort of quick, random quick hitters for you to close out this episode if if it's cool with you yeah just, man fire away just uh answer these however you want and if you want to expand on them it's it's totally up to you what's the most profound advice you've ever received
0: oh man That's so much of it uh I think one of the most foundational pieces of profound advice that I've gotten is to, um, is that your integrity is all you have at the end of the day. It is your, it is your number one currency. Without it, anything else you do um, can be called into question and can't be relied on. But um, if, you, if, you, if, if you're known for having integrity in all that you do, You'll always have an opportunity to create value and, and or do something special or or work for someone. Or um, so I guess it's it's that uh, if you have to protect anything, you know, and fight for anything down to the last the last dollar or the last bit of energy you have is is to maintain your own integrity. Yeah, I like that.
1: That's a that's a good core value to uh, to build off of. What's what's the best compliment someone can give you? what's either or, or if it's if it's people talking about you you know behind your back in a good way, what's the best thing someone can say about you or, or the best compliment
0: someone can give you uh, man, well, you know I would hope that um, I would hope that there are people in the world who, if asked about me when I'm not around, would say that I'm an honest person and that I have a, uh, the ability to empathize with people and display empathy in what I do. Um, but also that I am not somebody that you can, you know, who's going to let you walk all over them. I guess like the the greatest compliments that I could think of imagining is be that I, I'm compassionate and empathetic person who's honest, but also, you know, believes in himself and doesn't get taken advantage of. Mm -hmm. Um, that's hard to do. <laughs> that's like a life goal, right? Is to be able to do all those things on the regular. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I would hope that people see me as somebody who's empathetic and compassionate and, and, uh, not one to be taken advantage of.
1: That is a hard balance. I mean, that is, cause it's, it's one thing to be type A or alpha and never get pushed around. But then you're, if you're not careful, you're going to sacrifice in the empathy department. But then again, if you focus on being really nice, then people might even subconsciously take advantage of you or cut corners or uh, that's right. they might not even be trying to, but they just sort of walk on, walk on you subconsciously.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's, a, it's a very tough, delicate uh, balance to strike.
1: Um, what types of media do you consume? I know that, and you're a musician, so I'm sure answer this however you want, but I'm sure music is a huge part of, uh, of, of any types of media you would consume. But what, what kind of podcasts, if you listen to podcasts, what kind of uh, artists really resonate with you? What do you read What on, on a daily basis or even just on a semi-regular basis? What kind of media do you consume?
0: Yeah, so I, I do. I listen to music all the time. Um, I'm a rabid NPR listener. I listen to NPR. When I'm in my car, basically, unless it's going to be a long drive, when I know I need to throw on some music, my car riding time is basically my NPR time. Um I listen to music at work. I listen to music at, when I'm at home. Um, I play a lot of music. I listen to podcasts. I, I love language podcasts. So I listen to like Coffee Break French, Coffee Break Spanish, Coffee Break Farsi. Try to teach myself and pick up on uh, as much of other languages as I can. Hmm. Um, I read poetry avidly. Um, so I, I, I have bookshelves all over my house filled with different volumes of books. Of poetry from different poets that I was exposed to through college and, and graduate school. And so I'll pick those up and flip through them. Um, and then I, I read a lot of, you know, I, I have a lot of apps, you know, like Medium. Uh, I, I'm always scrolling through what's coming up on my feed in, in Medium. I, uh, you know, occasionally when I'm on my iPad, I'm going through Flipboard and, you know, anything that allows me to follow a bunch of different topics and aggregate news sources into one, you know, feed. Uh, I, I, I gravitate towards those types of applications because it's, there's so much to consume and I don't just want to drink the, from the fire hose of the New York times and the Washington <laughs> post and the LA times. Uh, but I want to, I want to read random blog posts from some dude who's trying to build a new kind of beehive. Who's got some brilliant insights about business or living life. And, and so I look to the apps like medium or, or flipboard or things like that to, to, pull all of those interests into one feed and kind of put it in front of me on a daily basis so I, like, I sit on the couch or in a chair at home and I flip through those apps on my phone or on my computer and just try to digest yeah. uh, as much as I can and then i watch I watch Netflix man and I'm addicted to shows like like the west wing i'm so I'm addicted to that show oh, it's from the '90s but like I've seen every season multiple times I watch it all the time I love it um, any kind i'm a political I also am really into social activism and civic engagement and and politics. And so anything that, you know, documentaries about that.
1: House of Cards, uh, you get into House of Cards? Oh,
0: man, big time, big
1: time. Scandal, too. Scandal, I don't know if it's on Netflix because it's an ABC show, but Scandal's got that same kind of feel to it.
0: Scandal, Madam Secretary, I love it. And there's a a show on Netflix that I watched um, recently. Uh, It's called, uh, it's by the History Channel, and it was like the – the definitive guide to the presidents or some name like that. And it was unbelievable. Yeah. It went back to George Washington and came all the way up to Obama and covered, it was like a 10 part series and it covered every single presidency and every election and their policies. And then by the time I got done with it, I mean, I learned so much about our, our, the history of our country and its evolution through this window into the presidencies. And by the time I got done, it was like, you shouldn't be allowed to vote unless you've seen this.
1: <laughs> it's probably, it's funny cuz you probably didn't care that much in elementary school when when they're trying to teach you all of the important things about the country's history and the presidents and but then when you become like 30 years old the light bulb switches on. You start caring about your family tree and presidents. <laughs>
0: no no doubt. Yeah, and your DNA, and yep. ancestry and all that stuff. Totally. Yep. Um who when you think of of how to
1: live a cool life when when you think of of the the open-ended or the the vague phrase, cool life? Who lives a cool life in your mind?
0: Oh, man. Um, You know, I think a cool life is, is, for me, is the ability to be uh, always seeking knowledge, um, always believing in magic and romance and having fun and, and knowing that it's a journey, and not taking myself too seriously, but also being very serious about uh, what I do with my intention and my energies, and and you know, so it's this, it's that whole Renaissance type mindset where it's like you know I want to be into as much as I can, and I want to soak up life and drink it, but 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 also manage it well, you know. And and I, I think people who who I think represent. And aspects of that. You know, like one of my great heroes who I made a record with before he passed away, named Cowboy Jack Clement. He's one of the guys who basically helped invent rock and roll music in some studios in the fifties. And and then after that he did everything else in music. There's almost nobody he hasn't worked with he's, you know, that he didn't work with. And his one of his whole things was, you know, in music, we're in the fun business. If we're not having fun, then we're not doing our jobs. But he also was very serious and he had rules about his studio. And so it was that blend of 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 hopeless romantic dreamer mixed with pragmatic uh go-getter that allows like so much magic to happen and that's kind of that's what i think a cool life really is and then if and if you can be that way and at the same time root yourself in what it is that you love the most and 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 what it is that you feel bo- you were born to do then you know it's just a huge win and and your life is just a, a joy from, from, you know, day and night. Amen. Despite the hard stuff, despite the hard stuff we all go through, right? Everybody has hard stuff happen. It's not a, it's not all, you know, every fairy tale has its, has its dark nights. And, um, it's really all about like, do you love what you do every day? And do you have the opportunity to do what you love or not? And, and if you're you know, like, I used to be somebody that would get sick to my stomach around five o'clock every Sunday evening. Cause I had to wake up the next morning and go back to that job. And, um, you know, I don't ever want to live that way again.
1: Yeah. Amen. I love it. Um, where, if people want to find out more about you, Matt, where can people reach out to you? Where are the best places for people to either connect with you or maybe even, uh, follow the music side of your career and, and listen to some of the stuff you put out there? Where should people find you?
0: Well, you know, I think the the best place to find me, um, is either through my website or, or through, you know, uh, Instagram or social or Twitter or Facebook. I, um, People can email me directly uh, to my personal email address through my website. It takes me a while sometimes to respond to, to all the emails, but I, I'm very intentional about doing that. So people can email me directly through the contact form on my website, um, or you know, they can ping me on Twitter or Instagram, and I'm pretty responsive there as well. And, and any one of those places links to all the other places. So it, once you find, one of, find me somewhere online, you can pretty much quickly find your way to all the other places that I'm, I'm hanging out.
1: Cool. Well, that was super fun, man. I really appreciate uh, you kind of pulling back the curtain and giving us a glimpse into your life. Thanks for joining.
0: Oh, man, it was a pleasure. And, and thank you for taking the time to you know chat with me and ask me questions. It's certainly an honor and a, and a joy to be able to chat with you.